we are going to share a meal together after the message. And it's a meal that reminds us of something. It's a meal that reminds us that God keeps his promises. We call it communion. We call it the Lord's Supper. Some people call it the Eucharist. Whatever you want to call it, it's a meal that we share to remember what God has done and what God is going to do. Because God keeps his promises. I want you to have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 12. And I'd like to, uh, it's such a beautiful story here of, of God rescuing and delivering Peter. Now, Peter has been a disciple of Jesus for many years at this stage. Possibly 15 years of following Jesus. You know, three and a half of them in the flesh. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Just following Jesus around for three and a half years. You start off as a fisherman, you think that's your life, and then this rabbi comes and calls your name and he says you're going to be fishing for men. Follow me. And that's it. That's when Peter's life began to change. But then he, he continued to follow Jesus and continued to listen to the teaching of Jesus, no matter how confusing it could be at times. I mean, let's be honest. When Jesus says things like, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, <laughs> that sort of thing, it's confusing teaching. But Peter stuck around and he trusted Jesus and he kept following Jesus all the way through. Except one night when Jesus started talking about dying on a cross and being crucified and being buried and rising again on the third day, Peter couldn't quite handle it and he said, this isn't going to happen to you, Lord Jesus. This isn't going to happen to you. Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I don't know if Jesus has ever said that to you before. But Jesus died on a cross. And while he was being, before he was being um, crucified on the cross, Jesus went through a trial and Peter denied Jesus. He denied that he followed Jesus. But did Jesus ever deny Peter? No, he didn't. He reinstated Peter into leadership after his resurrection. And then Jesus ascended into heaven after promising to send the Holy Spirit upon his disciples. And we see Peter in Acts chapter 2 delivering his first sermon ever. And 3,000 people give their hearts to Jesus as the Lord and Savior. And there's this fisherman just a few years earlier catching fish down by the lake. Having a family raising kids, living a normal life until Jesus comes along and calls him to something greater. Jesus said to Peter at one stage, after Peter acknowledged him as the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus said to Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. And we've been going through Acts for 12 chapters now, and we've been watching the building of the church. We watched how it started in Jerusalem and how it spread from there into uh, Samaria and, and, and Philip evangelized the Ethiopian man and he ended up going down into Africa. And we saw uh, how Antioch, just last, last week, we, we saw how the gospel even entered into a place like Antioch, into that place, into those people. 
the, the cross, the, uh, the king's cross of that region. But God's grace was evident in his church and his church continued to grow. Jesus is building his church and look around, he still is. We look around in this room possibly and think, well, it's not so much building going on here. Well, I see a lot of building. I see a lot of building. There's building of people. There's building of faith. There's building of trust. There's building of love. There's character being built. Jesus is building his church. And this morning's message, I wanna, wanted to give it a name. This is what I wanted to call it. But I can't write that down. <laughs> so I just called it knock, knock. But have you ever heard that noise before? Does that mean dinner's ready? Does that mean it's time to go to bed, children? What does it mean? Somebody's at the door. Here we see the rock, Peter, chained up, locked up, silenced in a prison. Sometimes it looks like God's plan isn't happening. Sometimes it looks like God isn't building his church the way we had expected it to be built. Let's have a look at verse 1 of chapter 12, for example. It says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. This is James and John. Peter, James, and John were the inner circle of Jesus, right? This is, this is, this is James, the disciple of Jesus, one of the leaders of the church. And now he is put to death with the sword. Do you know what that means? It actually means that he was decapitated. Herod wanted to silence the spread of the gospel. And what better way to do it than to take off someone's head? That's what uh, King David, remember that awesome story in the Old Testament? King David and Goliath? Although he wasn't king then, although he was promised to be. But what did he do with Goliath? He chopped his head off. It's like, just silence that person. That's the, that's the metaphor there. And so Herod tried to silence the message of the gospel. He tried to bring fear into the, into the realm of the Christian church. And I want to tell you this morning that God has a plan. I want to tell you that this morning that there is a plan for your life. All right? Do you believe that? There is a plan for your life. In fact, I want to go even further and say there are two plans for each of our lives. There are two plans. They are going at the same time. And the one plan is orchestrated by the devil. And the other plan is orchestrated by God. Now, it's not like that's a fair match, by the way. I, don't, I wanted to start off by saying it's not like the devil and God are both as strong as each other. We, do we know that? Because the devil is created and God is not created. <laughs> the devil is limited with his authority and ability. In fact, the devil has no authority apart from the authority that we give him or that God gives him. What did Jesus say to the disciples after he rose again? He said, all authority in heaven 
and on earth has been given to me. So if all authority has been given to Jesus, how much authority does Satan have? None. But he has power for a time. God has given him power. And Satan's plan, look, I wish he was more creative, but he's not a creator. But his plan is always to get you and I to doubt God's promises. Now, I wonder if Peter was sitting in there in that prison cell, tied up, you know, with chains between two soldiers, mind you. He must have been pretty strong. They were so afraid of Peter getting out that they put 16 soldiers in charge, guards outside, and he was chained to two soldiers inside. They didn't want Peter escaping. They might have heard about his last escape <laughs> with John back in early Acts. But they didn't want Peter escaping. But I wonder if Peter was kind of in that situation where the devil, devil's plan to make him doubt God's promise was strong in Peter's mind. Peter would have heard about James being executed. And now in verse 3, when, um, when Herod sees that this um, execution of James pleases the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, the devil will always get you to try and doubt God's promise. All right? He did it with Eve and Adam, didn't he? God promised them something. He said, he said, don't eat of this tree or you will surely die. Now, sometimes we kind of think maybe God was just, you know, saying that to them because they didn't really die, did they? I mean, they didn't go, you know, flat dead on the ground when they ate it. So maybe God was just saying, look, he was just trying to make them be afraid that if they eat this, this is a bad thing. But God was telling the truth. When they ate of that fruit, they died. They were unable to live eternally on their own merit. Sin separated them from God. And so their physical bodies were only allowed to live for a certain period of time before they decayed and died. Before they died and decayed, sorry. Get the right order. <laughs> Although sometimes it feels like decaying comes first and then dying. The older I get. But Satan came up to Adam and Eve and said, did God really say? He'll question the devil will get us to question what God really said. Did God really say? He said it, he did it too with um, Jesus. You know the story of Jesus after his baptism? Jesus is in the wilderness. He's led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And the devil himself comes to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. And what's the first thing the devil says to Jesus? If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. What was, the, what was the promise that the Father had given Jesus? The, the last thing that God had said to Jesus at his baptism was, you are my son, with you I am well pleased. God made that promise to Jesus. And now here's the devil, just a moment later, in the wilderness, trying to get Jesus to doubt the promise of God. If you are the son of God, turn these stone into bread. And the devil will try and get us to to doubt God's promise, especially in the wilderness, especially in the prison, especially when it's restriction time, especially when our lives are in, our bodies are in pain or we're going through seasons of, of turmoil or unrest. The devil will 
always try and get us to doubt God's promise. Now, God's promise is like a seed. The more I'm, the more I'm learning about gardening, the more I love the Bible. <laughs> because the, the promise of God is like a seed. And um, where do we put seed if we want it to grow? In the ground, in the soil, right? Why do we vacuum our houses? Keep them clean from what? Dirt. dirt. What? We don't like dirt. We don't want dirt unless we're, you know, four-wheel driving enthusiasts or something. We love dirt. But we don't like dirt because dirt's gross. Dirt's messy. It's dirty. But dirt is the ideal place to germinate a seed. And, and not, not that God creates bad situations in our lives, but I really believe that God's promise for you and me, can really only germinate properly in times of dirt, in times of manure, if I can say that in church. That's probably the furthest I could go. But there's those moments in life where it's just not fair and it, stuff smells bad and it's not good. But that's where faith is really tested. That's where our faith is really tested. And so here we see, here we see Peter in prison being tested. He's chained up. We see, we see Peter the Apostle in prison and we see James the Apostle put to death. But both of them are at peace and both of them are free. How can we tell? Well, James is obviously in the presence of Jesus right now in heaven. But it says in verse uh, 6, the night before Herod was to bring Peter to trial... Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentry stood guard at the entrance. Peter's surrounded by opposition. He's surrounded by guards in a stressful environment. But what's he doing? He is not worrying at all. He is asleep. He's not anxious at all. He's not fearing anything. He is asleep. He's resting and he's at peace. Something I noticed here too is that with the devil's plan, the devil's plan will try and get you to not rest. The best thing to do is to rest in God's promise, to rest in who God is, that he loves you, that he's got a plan for you. It's a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. The devil's plan is the opposite. The devil's plan is to bring destruction to you, to bring division to you or to you and people around you, to bring, to bring doubt into you. There's three Ds. There's the devil. The devil brings destruction, division, and doubt. Something I notice about Jesus too, in his life, the devil tried to continue to tempt him, but not in person. Once Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and overcame the devil's temptations, what did Jesus do? He went about obeying God. He went out into the masses. He taught. He healed. He cast out demons. He raised people back to life. He did amazing things. But there was opposition, but not in the form of the person of the devil. How did opposition come to Jesus? This is the closest thing I could find. It's two realms of society that will always try and get you and I to doubt 
God's promise. All right? If it's not the devil himself coming to you, it's these two realms of society. All right? Now hear me out. First of all, it's the political realm. And second of all, it's the religious realm. Now when I say religious, I don't mean Christian. I mean, so the uh, religious realm is a realm that says salvation comes by good works. And we all know that's not true. Salvation doesn't come by being a good person or doing good works. Salvation comes by grace, through faith. And this not of ourselves is the gift of God. But Jesus faced these two realms, political and religious, everywhere he went. And they tried to destroy and divide and get people to doubt. Whereas the Holy Spirit brings unity. And so the church should be a place where the Holy Spirit is allowed full reign and not the political spirit or the religious spirit. Now, the religious spirit doesn't just live in churches or can, can live in churches, but I find it around, the, around society a lot. People, people think that uh, if, just because you're a good person, good things will happen to you. Or you deserve good because you're a good person. And so if someone else doesn't do good, they don't deserve to be treated nicely. That's what a, that's what a religious spirit will, 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 will think. Um, so uh, let's say in, in my community at the moment, there's, um, there's a, there was an event last night that was run by a, a, an ethnic group in our community. And it was a totally non-Christian event. Uh, it's called Diwali. Do you guys ever have Diwali festivals up here? We have a large Sikh community in Pakenham, all right? Uh, people from India and Pakistan, Sri Lanka that are Sikh people. And they believe in certain things, but they don't follow Jesus. And sometimes we can look at those sorts of people doing those sorts of things and feel like they don't deserve to hear the gospel. They don't deserve to be forgiven. I mean, last week, remember, we looked at Antioch, that particular place. But everyone deserves to be forgiven. But the religious spirit will say they don't deserve to be forgiven. The religious spirit is the same one that came up to Jesus and said, here's this woman caught in adultery. What should we do to her? And so Jesus faced this spirit again and again and again. He even um, taught against it in many ways. Remember the story Jesus told about a, a parable where, where a Pharisee and a tax collector go to church and the Pharisee says, I thank you that I'm not like this guy. I thank you that I'm awesome and I do all these awesome things for you. I'm good, so I deserve good. And the, Pharisee, and the tax collector comes in and goes, I'm not good, I don't deserve good. And Jesus says, this one went away justified. So the religious spirit will, will puff itself up and say, I'm, I'm a representative of God in this place. I'm a leader. And this is what we, we find actually here is that, um, oh, and the other one was the political spirit. Okay. So very dominant power, hungry kind of figures. All right. So here we have King Herod, who is King Herod Agrippa. They're just a weirdo back in history, but in power. And they're not the kind of people you want in power. You don't want weirdos in power. But he arrested some Christians and he wanted to persecute them. 
and he ended up killing James, right? And he saw that this pleased the Jews. So the political spirit and the religious spirit worked together quite a lot. When, when, when Herod saw this pleased the Jews, the religious people, he proceeded to seize Peter also. To work, see, it's the devil using those realms in society to work against God's plan. All right? He did it even with Jesus. All right? So the religious people came against Jesus, as well as Pilate and everyone else, and we're told in Acts chapter 4, in the prayer that the church prays, they're praying to God and they're actually saying, you meant all of this to happen. God meant the religious spirit and the political spirit realms to work together to bring Jesus to crucifixion, which looks like the devil's winning and God's losing, but it's actually God's plan coming to fruition. And so here again is the same, the same motive operandi of the devil, using religious people and the political people in power to squash God's plan. And Herod even uh, uh, sided with the political, sorry, with the religious people too, by not not executing Peter on the Passover. So, so it's church and state. There you go. I'll, I'll say it. Church and state shouldn't go together. <laughs> That's dangerous. Anyway, so Peter was kept in prison, right? But the church was praying. See that in verse 5? While Peter was kept in prison, chained up and not going anywhere, the church was praying. And how were they praying? They were praying very earnestly. In fact, this scripture tells us that they were praying for seven days, day and night. Day and night. I know it's night time because when Peter comes knocking on the door, Rhoda answers the door at night and they're still praying. So this church, they're consistently, continually, earnestly praying, very earnestly, day and night, prevailing in prayer. Do they see the answer while they're praying? No, they don't. Even when the answer comes knocking on the door and a servant girl hears the voice of Peter, the believers that are praying still don't see the answer to prayer and they don't believe that what they're praying for will actually come to pass. Do you see that in verse 15, when Peter is actually at the door, they say to the servant girl, you're out of your mind, it must be his angel. In other words, they're praying and praying and praying and they think, well, okay, Peter must be dead. Are your prayers and my prayers like that? You know, we pray prayers like, Lord, if it's your will that this person comes to know Jesus, let it be done. If it's your will, and it is God's will. If it's your will that this person gets freed from this situation, let it be done. But then we kind of think, maybe, maybe it's not God's will. Maybe he won't do that. And we come up with excuses as to how God might answer that. And so they, they, don't, they don't actually believe that Peter's free. 
but they continued to pray. Verse 5 says they were praying earnestly to God for Peter. Now, Peter's in prison, and there's two people knocking on his door. Peter could open the door to the political religious realm, the devil's side, the devil's plan, and say, yeah, you know what? I'll stop. I'll surrender to you. Fine, whatever. But there's another person who knocks on his door. And it's God. And it's God's plan. It says in verse 6, The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Verse 7, Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. That's amazing. The angel doesn't even knock. Everything's locked up. Peter's locked up. The prison's locked up. The church praying, they're locked up behind closed doors. Everything's locked up. But when it's God's plan, there are no doors to stop him. He will always make a way where there seems to be no way. The Israelites coming out of Egypt, oh no, there's a Red Sea. What are we going to do? God's on our side. God opens the door. He makes a way. The cross, oh no, it's crucifying Jesus. We followed him for three and a half years. Well, he mustn't be the Christ. What does God do? Make a way using the cross to forgive our sins and make a way for all of us to be forgiven. There is no limitation to what God is able to do for the person who trusts his promise and obeys. I love that first song we sang, Trust and Obey. That's simply what it comes down to, the Christian life. Trust God. Obey God. I love this picture. I'll go through really quick. But this picture of the angel releasing Peter from prison. Did you notice anywhere here where Peter asks the angel a question? I just see Peter almost like me in the morning or when I'm woken up. I'm just in a daze, right? He just, he just gets, he, he wakes up, right? The angel says, quick, get up. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. He didn't have to touch anything. They just fell off. Then in verse 8, the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. What does Peter do? He just did. It says Peter did so. Then the angel says, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. And what did Peter do? Just followed him. Like he's just in this daze. He's not asking, why should I? Who are you? Where did you come from? He just, he's just up. And in fact, it's in hindsight that Peter looks back and says, oh, now I know. And I think that's what faith looks like often in your life and my life. Not that we're in a prison chained up between two soldiers, but we can be in situations like that where it's restricting, where it's a dark place, where we feel alone, where it seems like God actually isn't being victorious at that point. But we just have to get up and listen to what God's saying and follow him. 
And Peter did that. He just got up and followed him. And it says he thought he was seeing a vision. He didn't actually even think that it was real. He, He thought he was dreaming. And it's beautiful. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading, leading to the city. And they didn't even have to push on the iron gate. Peter doesn't do a thing. Peter doesn't touch anything. He just puts his clothes on and follows the angel who was sent by God. And they walked. They went through the iron gate. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And Peter's there on his own. It's amazing. What a scene. I wonder what the guards were doing. I wonder if there was music playing, angels singing, silence. It, would just, it seems really eerie to me that Peter just rises up like a dream and just walks out half asleep following an angel. And he's free. And it says in verse 12, when this had dawned on him, He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John. Now, this is John Mark. This is Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And Mary is his mother. And Mary was a wealthy woman in those days. And some believe that it was Mary's home, the same home that Peter's going to, where Jesus shared the Last Supper with the disciples, washed their feet, talked about how he was going to build a place for them in heaven. That he was the only way, the truth, and the life. This is that Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. They were praying and praying and praying, and Peter knew the place to go. Peter knew the place to go. When he was free from that prison, he realized that God had delivered him and that Jesus was still keeping his promise. On this rock, I will build my church. And the church was being built that very night. Now, we don't read about people coming to know Jesus, do we? But the church was built. How were they built? They were built to recognize who's knocking at your door. They didn't give up praying. They might have heard the devil say to them in their prayers, why are you praying? What's the use of praying? Just give up. Peter's in jail. Look what happened to James. Your prayers are never going to be answered. Why don't you just give up? And he keeps knocking on the door and they don't answer it. I don't know about you, but sometimes that happens to me. You know, situations come where it's just almost impossible. And you feel like, what's the point of praying? What's the point? Well, let me tell you that the point of prayer is to build the church, is to grow your faith. Trust God in the dirt because that's where his promises germinate the best. Peter knocked on their door at Mary's home, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. You know what Rhoda means in Greek? Rose. Have you heard of a rhododendron? It actually translates in Greek, rose plant. Rhododendron. There you go, that's free. A philodendron. Love plant. There you go. That's free too. Anyway, he knocks on the door. Rose comes to the door. She hears his voice, but doesn't open the door. Why? Because she's so excited that God has answered her prayers. 
She's so excited that God has answered her prayers. She and the rest of them were being knocked. There were multiple doors being knocked. God was knocking on this door saying, trust me, trust me. And devil was knocking on this door saying, it's never going to work. Just give up. You're wasting your time. And then Peter comes and she hears his voice. Another voice. The voice of answered prayer. She's so excited about answered prayer, she forgets to open the door and experience the answered prayer herself. She wants everyone else to be involved in that. That's a testimony, isn't it? I love it when we have answered prayer, we can share it with everyone else. It's great, isn't it? To come to people at church and say, hey, God answered this prayer in my life. I didn't think it was going to happen. It didn't, you know, the breakthrough was just too impossible. But God does the impossible. We're praying for breakthrough in in uh, Robert and Anna's life, in their, in their family. We're praying for breakthrough in, in Av's healing. We're praying for breakthrough in many areas of our lives. And isn't it great when we can come back to the church and say, this is answered prayer. Look at this progress that we're seeing in Av. Let's keep going. Let's keep trusting God. Yes, James gets executed. Yes, situations like that come our way. But guess what? God's plan still happens for James. Because Jesus said he promised to John and James one day that they would suffer. All right? He promised that. And James did. But he's in glory. He's free. God answers prayer. And so she recognized Peter's voice. The people said that she was out of her mind. And she was. (laughs) Because it was her mind that was their minds that were getting in the way. Their minds were saying, God's not going to free him. God's not going to do this. But Peter kept on knocking, didn't he? And when they opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. And it's great too, because at once, how many plans are there for your life right now? There are two plans for your life right now. One is to destroy you, to bring division, to bring doubt, and that's the devil. But the other is to bring hope, is to bring prosperity, is to bring grace, is to bring breakthrough, and that's the Lord. And sometimes the Lord's plan looks a little bit like the devil's plan. We just look at the cross. God changes those difficult situations, those things that were meant for harm into good. And I don't want to go into detail. I'm going to finish it there for today. That's enough talking. But what happens to Herod next, you can read about it yourself. It's awesome. Because Herod thinks he's so good and high and mighty. And the religious people even think that they're so high and mighty. The spirit of religion and the spirit of politics, they can gather together as much as they like until the Lord returns. But the spirit of God will always have the last say in your life and my life. Prevail in prayer. Never stop praying. Keep asking. Keep seeking. And keep... Keep knocking. Father, we thank you that we can come to you in prayer. And not just when things are going well, but also when things are not going well. And we thank you, Lord, that you have a plan for us that far outweighs any plan we can come up with. And it far outpowers any plan the devil can come up with. And so, Lord, we just want to pray your blessing upon us as we leave from here. Help us to answer your knocking. 
on our hearts. Help us to trust you and what you've promised for us, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you've made a way for us where there seems to be no way. And you've set us an example to follow. So, Lord, we just thank you so much for this time. And we pray your Holy Spirit to fill us. Help us to prevail in prayer and to trust you and obey. In your name, amen.